When I was about nine or ten, I was at uh, church and at a revival, and on a Thursday night, I'm not sure much of what the sermon was on, but I do remember the invitation song, and it was, uh, I'll say yes, and just an overwhelming burden came across my life that I knew I was a sinner, and um, I went home that evening and uh, shared it with my mother, and um, I remember weeping and, and just feeling a sense of, of relief when I finally uh, confessed and, uh, and confessed that Jesus was my Lord. And uh, she put me into the, um, some leaders of the church, and, and we went through the process, and I went forward and got baptized. And um, I just want to say I'm very thankful for a mother that uh, was a single mother that took us and put us into the church almost every time the doors were open, put us in front of uh, leaders that, um, men that were in my life, but ultimately she taught me that my true father was in heaven, and that was Jesus. Um, probably when I was around 18 or 19, um, youth group was over, and, and I had that choice and the busyness of life of uh, working and school full-time and so forth, and um, just didn't, wasn't involved in church like I should have been. And uh, through Casey, meeting her, um, she had Sundays were family days, <laughs> and we found a loophole that we can get around to see each other while we was dating, and we could go to church together on Sundays. So, thankfully, um, God used that for a, to, so we can build our relationship on the rock and the rock of Jesus, and, and we have a good marriage because of that. Um, I would say through this, through my new church, my new, uh, the new church here of, um, that I have, the, the relationships that I'm, that I'm having, the sermons that I'm hearing, the Sunday school, uh, the depth that we're having, you know, and we, we touched on it some today, and it was, um, you know, the spiritual milk, and I've felt like I've been on the spiritual milk too much, and I'm getting into some meat that uh, is really just um, helping me grow spiritually. And I, again, I love our relationships that we have here at the church and, you know, all of the leadership and, and the passion that we have for God here at this church. I just, I really, really, it's just dear to my heart. So I'm thankful for that.
took a break from the Gospel of Mark last week because of uh, it being homecoming and us having a guest preacher. I do want to say now, thank you so much to all of you that served well and you know, worked hard. I was very humbled at the amount of effort that went into pulling off last Sunday from, from all of you all. Uh, there was a lot happening last week, and you worked hard together. And it's encouraging for a pastor to see a church full of people that want to serve and work and contribute and volunteer. And uh, it, it, it was awesome, and I appreciate that. That's a sign of, of there being real life, spiritual life, and hard work in our church. And uh, what a blessing that is. You know, I didn't plan for us to have baptisms on the day that I, would, that I would preach on this. You know, we're just walking through the Gospel of Mark, and next week we're going to pick up at verse 14. We just continue going. We started at Mark chapter 1, and we'll, we'll keep going all the way. And here we, though, here we are, though, this morning at Mark chapter 7 with uh, Jesus calling out uh, religious people being overly committed to their traditions. And without us even really getting into it, we're already kind of been put on notice, haven't we? Because when your church is 100 years old, there's a lot of things that you seem to just do. Or that's the way we've always done it, or we can't change some things. And yet we have Jesus here, God himself, addressing that they're that way, and it is so wrong when they are too committed to things that they should not be committed to. Really, when they are too committed to things that have now trumped, gotten in the way, or pushed aside the truth of God, the Word of God. And so, it's fitting that on the day that we do baptisms, which, as you know, people can put too much emphasis on baptism, that we're looking here at Mark chapter 7. In the bulletin, I'm asking the question, do you go to church or are you a follower of God's Word? Now, a follower of God's word uh, is somebody who's a part of a church. But you know what I mean, because often we tend to, tend to think that me going to church is, is what lets you know that I am a believer or child of God. But rather, I want to place the emphasis on we are followers of God's word. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines. The commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, 
then you no longer permit him to anything, to do anything for his father or mother. Thus, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. This is a serious passage. I know a lot of times people in the world think that being a Christian is just trying to be a better person. And undoubtedly, being a Christian is trying to be a better person. But Jesus, who we follow, speaks the truth, represents God, is God in the flesh, and therefore is telling us what is true and what is not true, what is right and what is not right, what is wrong. Jesus does not hesitate to say you're wrong, to say that's wrong, to say that we're wrong, to say that we're a problem. Jesus does not hesitate to take us being wrong further to saying God's going to judge you for that. And when we see that Jesus gets serious and stern about things, we ought to listen up. We ought to say this is serious. I need to make sure what this is talking about. I need to make sure I understand. I need to check myself. And this passage is one of those. These Pharisees and Jewish people and religious leaders were very religious. They were active in their religion. They did a lot. They knew what God's Word said in the Old Testament. They were committed to it. They worked hard. They did a lot of things that God told them to do. And so they thought for sure, no question about it, that they, of all people, because of what they were doing, must be right with God. And yet Jesus takes up a great issue with them. I want to look at three points today. Number one, the message we send the message we send. The message we send. Number two, the message that sends us. The message that sends us. And number three, the sin of blurring the message. The sin of blurring the message. Number one, the message we send. You know that we, by the very nature of calling ourselves Christians and by being a part of a church and really just by pulling into this parking lot and parking your car and walking in these doors, just by that means that all of a sudden you are now, to some extent or another, in some capacity, you are representing God's people. You may not be, but you are to some extent, and you are sending a message of what Christians are like. And ultimately, what Christians are like is then saying what God is like. The message that we send. I want you to consider this morning, what is the message that you send as a Christian? How do those around you read and understand God through the way that you live and uh, behave? How, how do those people around you think about God? Are they in all of His goodness? Are they so humble that God is that merciful and gracious to people? Or do they fear God? Are they scared? Do they totally misunderstand Him? 
Do they know that the worst people in the world can go to heaven at the free cost of Jesus, knowing that Jesus died for them? Do they know that through you? I want to ask today, what is the message that we send? Churches absolutely send a message, and we've been celebrating 100 years. It's 2016, and we've been here since 1916. I dare say that thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have lived and grown up in Fairdale since 1916 have been influenced for better or for worse by this church. Last week we celebrated like that was a good thing, but the honest truth is there are probably so many ways that that's a bad thing. And I'm happy to be the pastor here. I'm honored and humbled to be the pastor here. But if we're honest with ourselves, over 100 years, I'm sure we have sent the wrong message at times. I'm asking what message do we send what message do we send? You're aware that people are noticing, right? People are noticing. I baptized two of my sons this morning, which you saw. JJ is eight, almost nine, and Eli is seven. And every single day of their lives, they have been watching very closely what it means to be a Christian. And since they've just learned to read in the last couple of years, they don't so much understand what God is like through what they've read, but rather what they have been taught. And you know that teaching somebody about Jesus is some of what you're saying and some of what you're doing. And I wonder how many people don't want anything to do with Jesus and therefore his church, because of the message that we send. People are noticing us. Look right here in our passage in Mark chapter 7. It says, now when the Pharisees gathered to him, so now Jesus is there, and these religious leaders come to him. It says, when some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw, look, they noticed. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, and that is unwashed. They are looking at Jesus. They're looking at the followers of Jesus. Just imagine, religious people in the world are looking at Christians and wondering, why do they do what they do? That's exactly what's happening here. The Jewish people are looking at Jesus and his followers, and they're going, why, why do they do that? I bet somebody's here today going, why'd they do that? Why'd they get in the water today? What did that do? What does that mean? This is exactly what's happening here. What they had seen is that Jesus' people are eating bread, and they, they didn't wash their hands. And so they're thinking, what in the world? Everybody knows inside of Judaism, of the Jews, that You've got to wash your hands before you eat. Your hands are dirty. Why are they not? Man, they were noticing how Jesus and his people moved. Do you realize that at the very moment you call yourself a believer, everybody who knows you are bold about that is watching every move you make. 
as often as I can, I get to go down here to Fairdale Pizza and have lunch. My wife says I go too much. There's already been a few times where I've been sitting there eating and somebody walks up to me that I don't know or I've never met. I didn't even recognize them. And they say, you're the pastor of the Baptist church, right? And I wait to try to figure out the situation before I answer. But then I say, yeah, yes, I am. And then we talk about whatever, but then I always wonder, like, how, how did they know that? And how long have they known that? And I wonder if they were listening to me how I talked. Or I wonder if they saw me interacting with my server. I wonder if they saw me get an attitude and be rude and not tip and complain about my food. Or I wonder if they saw that side of me. I didn't know that anybody was there. You know how it is when you walk into a restaurant, you kind of look around, see if there's anybody you know. People are noticing. We might say that people have formed their opinion off of not only our church but our God by the way they see us living our lives. Before homecoming, I went to get me a new haircut, and I went down here to the, the Great Clips right down here in Auburndale. I was in a hurry, and I, I, they had a $5.99 sale, and I, I walked in. And I got inside, and I was waiting, and sure enough, a church member came in right after me that I didn't see. You know what he said? He said, man, I thought I had you. Right there beside the Great Clips is a smoke shop, right beside each other. And the door is just revolving at that smoke shop. People are in and out. And he came in. He said, man, I thought I had you good. I was sitting in my car. I saw you pull up. And I thought for sure you were heading into that smoke shop. I said, oh, my goodness, I got him. I've got him. I've got him. I've got him. So I said to him, well, good thing I didn't need any more today. <laughs> I had no idea that he even saw me. I had no idea that he was even watching. Our passage doesn't tell us if, the, if Jesus and his followers knew that they were watching or not. But it says that they gathered there and they saw some of his disciples and they ate with defiled hands. Now, church, I want to be clear here, and I'm going to get here in point two, but let me say up front, we ought to be the first to admit that we have defiled lives, dirty lives, if you will. Your pastor is a sinner. Every one of you all, whether you agree with me or not, are sinners. God is concerned about your sinful heart more than he is concerned about your sinful outside. They were confused on why they didn't wash their hands because the extent of their religion was the way the people looked on the outside. They didn't know that God was more concerned with the heart. My point is the message that we send, and I want to ask here today, do you understand that the message you are to send and portray and, and, and give off is the message that God is working on my heart? Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 15 that whatever's going on in the heart will produce what goes on on the outside. If you're not getting the outside cleaned up, then that's a heart issue. If the outside's starting to clean up, then often that means your heart is moving in the right direction. 
And I'm asking, what message do we send? Now, I don't want you to turn there necessarily, but I want you to listen to Revelation chapter 2 when God has written letters to the churches. And the first church in Ephesus that gets a letter here in Revelation 2, it says this. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. I, and I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Listen, though. This is Jesus speaking to the church, and he says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love. Jesus has in mind here a church that works hard, that toils, that labors, that endures, that hates evil, that is trying to do all of these things, that is trying to endure patiently and bearing up for each other, but they're doing it all without a love for God. And when we become a church who is sending a message that we just do all of this stuff and we've forgotten that it's about the great love of God through the death of His Son, Jesus, on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, then we have lost all perspective. Everybody in every organization is looking for hardworking volunteers. It doesn't matter what your organization is. If you think that the extent of our message is that we're good people who are working hard, then you don't understand our church and our vision and our mission. It's about dealing with the heart. We exist to proclaim Jesus, that Jesus died for your sins, that if you will turn from your sins, he will forgive you of all your sins. That's the message. And we do not want to send the wrong message. But sometimes we do. We need to be honest about that. We need to repent. We need to say we're sorry. But we need to be mindful that we do send a message. That's my first point. Second point, what is the message? And this message sends us. So in the first two verses, it says they've recognized here that Jesus and his people ate with dirty hands. Verse 3. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. Now, let me pause for a second. What that means is that is not in the Word of God that you have to wash your hands before you eat. Now, you probably do wash your hands before you eat because it's smart and you don't like germs and your mom probably taught you so, your mom probably made you do that, but you probably do. But the point is the Bible doesn't say in order for you to be right with God that you have to wash hands before you eat, Okay? But the Jews had a tradition among their leaders that you had to, and that if you didn't, it was sin. Okay? Now, let, let me tell you why, why this is wrong. Let me follow you. If you didn't wash your hands before you ate and your mom got mad at you, she still didn't say it was a sin. She just said it's dirty. You need to wash your hands. They had elevated this rule that they had among their leaders to say, this is one of our rules, and if you don't do it, it's a sin against God. So this is why they're so perplexed. They're thinking that Jesus, who is claiming to be God, is breaking a rule that they thought in their head was on the level of the Word of God. So they're taken back, like, they're not washing their hands? What's going on here? Verse 4, And when they come to the, from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions. So look here. The Jews have lots, lots of traditions like this. 
that they observed, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him. So they noticed. There's so much noticing that they want to ask him, why, why do you do that? Have you ever found somebody who goes to a, a, a different denomination of a church or, or maybe is in uh, some other religion or is involved in some spiritual life that's not like yours? And have you ever wondered at why they're doing what they're doing and said, can, can I ask you a question? Why, why do you do that? I like to do that. It's good to ask a question. Now, usually when you're noticing that it's different, you're probably thinking that it's different from yours and, hey, one of us has got to be right or wrong here. But this is what's happening here. They say... They ask Jesus, verse 5, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? They were honestly confused about it. They didn't understand why God and his people would not be living by God's ways. The problem here. They had forgotten God's ways. Their focus had shifted away from this is where we know God's ways to our traditions of how the leaders of us do things is equal to God's ways. And so they were puzzled by that. Jesus, why do they not wash hands? They're breaking the tradition of the elders. Here's what I mean by my second point, the message that sends us. Folks, our message is that God is a life changer. He changes lives when He changes hearts. He changes hearts when He humbles us under our sins and then forgives us. And when somebody comes to know that God loves them even though they are a sinner because of what Jesus did, dying and coming back to life, it changes everything. It literally changes everything about our life. It causes us to understand that God doesn't love me because of the way I live, good or bad. He loves me because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Jesus became my sins on the cross and died. Therefore, God's not mad at my sins. God dealt with my sins in Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus rose again, he showed that he's victorious over it. Well, when I believe in Christ and trust in him by faith, then I now have Christ as my life. God has dealt with my sins in Christ, and God has given me new, real, living, godly life in Jesus. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. That is our whole message, that it's about the heart. Our message is the heart. Our message is the heart. Our message is the heart. Where is your heart at? We are very, very careful, okay? We are very, very careful to not let it be about what we're doing. These seven people just got baptized. Two weeks ago, we had another. We had eight people baptized here in the last two weeks. And you can ask any of them, I have asked them so many times or said to them so many times, you know right that baptism does not save you. This baptism is not going to save you. Who saves you? What saved you? How'd you get saved? And they all answer, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We know it's all Jesus. Yes, it is. Because baptism, folks, does not, cannot save you. 
That is water. It didn't wash me clean. Matter of fact, that water did not touch my heart. It didn't get deep enough inside of me. My skin kept the water off my heart. It is only the holy blood of Jesus in him dying on the cross for us that is able to wash away my sins. Y'all, salvation and getting right with God is a spiritual work. The God Spirit has to do it. There is not anything you can do. There's not enough money you can put in the offering plate. There's not enough service that you can do here. There's not enough community service. There's not enough doors for you to knock on. There's not enough baptisms for you to get involved with. There is not enough for you to do to make yourself right with God. You must have God change your heart. This is our message. And since our message is so much about the heart, and we realize that we are as sinful as anybody else, then there's no room for us to be judgmental to anybody outside of the church. We see ourselves worse than the people outside of the church. That's why we're here to love and serve and make a positive impact in the community. This is our message, and this message sends us. That God loves people, and he will forgive anybody of their sins, and that there is nobody too bad to get right with God. This is our message. But we must make very clear, okay, we must make very clear that it's not about what we do. And when you baptize little kids, sometimes they may be thinking, well, yeah, I'm saved now because I'm baptized. And we have to help them understand that the baptism did not save you. Jesus saves you. Are you trusting in Christ? Now, I know y'all hear preachers harp on things like that. That it's about the heart. But I want to warn you that as sinful people that we are, we almost default daily back into thinking it's based off what good we do. We all do that. And you start wondering about how much good you're doing to see if you're right with God. Your good works, your doing things for God that are not accompanied by a broken and repentant, humbled heart that is trusting in Jesus is not only wrong, but is way wrong. Way wrong. Now, the further back in history you go in our country, like 30 years, 50 years, 100 years ago, people didn't talk about this as much. And so people would just go to church. They didn't emphasize the heart as much, wrongly. But thankfully, more and more we're starting to emphasize the heart. But when you start to emphasize the heart, guess what happens? People stop going to church just to go to church. So it's not a bad thing that people have quit going to church. Perhaps we're getting clearer on what a real Christian is. Let me be the first to say, the goal is not for you to come to church. The goal is not just for you to be here. Matter of fact, it may be problematic for you to just be a church attender. The goal is for you to bow your heart to Jesus. For him to be king of your life. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to read to you verses 10 through 18. Isaiah is a prophet now speaking to God's people. Okay? Listen to this. And they are living their lives 
according to the tradition of the elders, they are living their lives in what they think is the right way to live as God's people, okay? They are living their lives in what they think is the right way to live as God's people and listen to what God says to them. Some of you all that have not read the Bible much are not going to believe what God's about to say to them. But the issue is that it's about the heart. Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Now, let me pause for a second. Who told them to do those sacrifices? God. And now God is saying, enough. I don't like it. I don't want you to do anymore. I don't, I'm not pleased by it. Why is God not pleased with their obedience? Their heart's not right. They're just doing it to do it. They're not humble and broken before him, trusting in him as a savior. They're wanting to be proud of all the good that they do. He gets stronger. Verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings, incense, and an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts. Listen to this. My soul hates. This is the word of God telling the people of God that he hates what they're doing. Because their heart is so far from him. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even, listen to this. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't answer your prayers? Now, there's several available answers. But perhaps one is that your heart is far from him. Have you trusted in him? Bowed yourself down to him? Have you cried out to him to forgive you of all your sins and to make you right and to help you? Have you asked him to be your, your forgiver, your, your savior? Have you trusted in his love? When our hearts are far from him, when our souls are raging against him, God is opposed to our prayers. Isaiah 1, dealing with our hearts. Commentator J.C. Ryle says, The heart is the part of man which God chiefly notices in religion. The bowed head, the bended knee, the grave face, the rigid posture, the regular response, or the formal amen. All these together do not make up a spiritual worshiper. The eyes of God look further and deeper. God requires worship from the heart. He goes on to say, it must not content us to take our bodies to church if we leave our, if we leave our hearts at home. This is the message that sends us. That God has made it clear that the main thing is Jesus is Lord and Savior and a forgiver of sins, and that we need to get right with Him 
through Jesus. I mentioned before, do you go to church or do you follow God? Is this about the heart? Or is this just something you have to do? We must be aware of the message we send. But we're only aware of the message we send when we understand what message is sending us. That God is a Savior to sinners. And that we are trusting in Him. And therefore, we want other people to know God's great love and the forgiveness of sins that is available. Lastly, the sin of blurring the message. The sin of blurring the message. It's not okay for us to just say, well, nobody's perfect. It's not okay for us to say, you know what, man, uh, nobody's God, everybody makes mistakes, we all sin, and just leave it at that. We must understand that God, in calling us to be his children and saving us and working in us, that God now gives us the responsibility to be witnesses unto him. He says it time and time again. He says that we are his children. He says that the way we love each other is the ultimate witness to the world. He says that we're to be the light in the darkness. He says that we are to be the salt of the earth. He goes on and on with how our witness in the world, the message that we're sending, makes so much of a difference. And so it is a sin when we have blurred the message or sent the wrong message. Look back to our passage in Mark chapter 7. I want you to see here at verse 6. They've asked the question, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with devout hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Now, I'm not sure if you have room in your beliefs for Jesus to call somebody a hypocrite. We tend to think that nobody should ever call anybody a hypocrite, and yet the people who do call people hypocrites are those who are being judgmental. But here, we have God calling the Jews hypocrites. There's room for that if your heart's not right. Listen to me. I don't want you throwing around the word hypocrite. Be very careful and cautious with it. I tend to think that I'm more hypocritical than everybody else, so we want to use that word loosely. But, if you are claiming to be a child of God, you're claiming to be a church person, and yet your heart is not humble and broken over your sins first, and you're bothered by other people's sins, you may just be a hypocrite. A hypocrite, folks, very simply, is somebody who acts like more than what they are. A hypocrite is somebody that wears a mask. They try to be this good, clean, godly, holy person, but they're really not. And it's obvious to those around them that they're not as holy as they say they are. Christians are humble people. Jesus is being encountered by people who are worried about whether they wash their hands or not in order to be God's people. This is a problem. God's more concerned about your dirty hearts than he is about your dirty hands. Jesus says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 29. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There's the issue. 
My whole second point was the message it sends us is that it's about the heart. And Jesus says, their heart is far from me. I want to ask you here today, not if you go to church and not if you've been baptized and if you put any money into play. I don't care about those things. I want to ask you here today, is your heart near to God? Do you love your family because God says that is of the utmost priority? Is your work ethic a beautiful testimony to the life and energy and strength that God's given you because God tells you to work hard for His glory? Where's your heart? Is your heart near God or far from Him? Jesus speaks to these religious people and says... You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. He goes on and says that your worship is vain. What a statement. God has an opinion of our worship today. He's probably not going to tell us out loud, but I pray that it's not vain. I pray that Joe didn't waste his time on those songs. I pray that this worship of a sermon is not vain to God. Here's why it's vain. Look what he says. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, instead of elevating the life-giving truth of God's Word, they've kind of pushed it aside and made what they teach in their traditions the main thing that is wrong. After he says that, though, he says it again three more times. Look at verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of man. What a horrible, horrible indictment. I want to ask you all here today, is that you? Is that what your family life is like concerning Christianity? Have you abandoned what God says in his word, or are you sticking to the tradition of men? Verse 9, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So what he says in verse 7, as quoting Isaiah, he says again himself in verse 8, and then he says it again in verse 9. He's saying, you're sticking to your traditions and you're abandoning the word of God. This is terrible. In verse 10 he says, here's what Moses says about family. Honor your father and mother. This is in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. Honor your father and mother. Whoever reviles his father and mother must surely die. But here's what you say. If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. They've changed it. God's message is you are to honor your father or mother. That is God's message. And they had changed it to where if your living has somehow created a situation for your parents, then you don't have to honor your parents any further. He says, you, you've changed up God's word. You've gone away from God's word and made your own new rule. And y'all are sticking to it like it's God's word. Verse 13. Now, the third time. Thus, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. We need to be honest and we need to realize that sometimes we send the wrong message and do harm to the Word of God. 
Y'all remember me telling the story of the lady that I know that lives right here in Fairdale, walks to work and works at a nearby business? I love this lady. And I had invited her to church, and she said, well, I had somebody tell me I can't go to church there unless I had a dress. And I'm sorry, Pastor, but I don't own a dress. You want to talk about getting God's word out of perspective is if somebody ever thought that how you're dressing makes any difference on where your heart is when it comes to worshiping God. Y'all need to know this. And whoever sent that message really missed the main thing. The Bible doesn't tell us what type of instruments that we should be using. The Bible doesn't tell us those type of things. The Bible does tell us very strongly here with hypocritical language from Jesus to the people and the redundancy of you've left the commandment of God, you've rejected the commandment of God, you've made void the word of God by sticking to what your preference is. This is a problem. Jesus wants us to be concerned about our hearts. And when it comes to parenting, listen to me, when it comes to parenting, this is the easiest place for us to get it wrong. For if our kid comes in and sits down and be quiet and says, yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and all that good stuff, we think, man, he's a good kid. But his heart could be so far from God. And this is why real parenting must deal with the heart. We must try to seek out where our kids' hearts are. And yet Jesus makes the same thing. He gives the warning here of the sin of blurring the message. One commentator says, practically, the traditions of many were everything, and the word of God was nothing at all. Obedience to the traditions constituted true religion to them. But obedience to the scriptures and God's word was lost sight of altogether. J.C. Ryle says, it is just as easy to destroy the authority of God's word by addition as it is by subtraction. By burying God's word under man's inventions as by denying its truth. The whole Bible and nothing but the Bible must be our rule of faith. Nothing added to it and nothing taken away. What God commands is necessary for you to be saved. What man commands is not. The Bible says that God loves us in such a way that he killed his son, that you could have a relationship with God. Jesus died for sins under the punishment and wrath of God. And whoever will trust that will not die for their sins, will not face the punishment of God, will not face the wrath of God, because they have trusted in God's love and God's promise. Let's be careful what message we send. Let's be careful to not blur the message. And let's be excited to let the message, the life-changing message, send us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good morning, for your word in Mark 7. God, thank you that Jesus has strong words on how we represent you. Lord, I pray that you would deal with our hearts today. That we would not be okay with what we say we do or how much we do. As a matter of fact, that we would not even have our eyes or perspective on that. But that we would deal with our hearts. Oh Lord, help us now. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.